0: Don't stop me if you've heard this one before. I just like hearing my own voice. Anyway, I was always overweight as a kid. I weighed about 120, 130 in sixth grade. I think it's probably because I grew up in the back of a diner my grandparents owned, the Foxtrot Donut Shop on Waverly Street in Framingham, Massachusetts. It's a Dunkin' Donuts now because of course it is. My mom, aunt, and uncle worked there, and a nice lady named Tina. I'd sit in the accounting room and watch Bewitched and i dream of Jeannie and, well, dream about magicking my fat off. But the accounting room was in the back where all the donuts and muffins were made in giant industrial scale mixing equipment. So what do you think an overweight, unmonitored, bored 10-year-old would do? That's right, he'd wait till no one was around and squeeze pure, undiluted jelly and apple and chocolate donut filling into his mouth. And then, if you were me, in your attempt to avoid being spotted as your mom was about to find you in the middle of what the Russians would surely see as a great moment of compromise. You'd also knock over a powerful cleaning solvent that would melt your winter coat to the linoleum and eat through your kids just as you were able to squirm away to safety. And you know what my mom said when she found me and my husky clothing dissolving on the floor? She said, I love you now because I have to. She was joking, of course. But that's the point. She made light of the moment instead of noting how heavy I already was. I definitely had, and have food issues, but I was lucky enough to have parents who didn't try to shame me or instill a fear of my own self-image in me. Though it's certainly not the only factor, that kind of reflexive revulsion or contempt from a parent can lead to a lifetime of eating disorders and their complementary medical problems. So listen, if you have a parent who makes you feel bad about your body, whether or not you're at the weight you want to be at, repeat after me. My parent, parents, guardian or guardians are fallible humans who are projecting their own unresolved emotional garbage thoughts onto me. So I reject their undeserved judgment because they don't have one fucking clue who I really am, and I am goddamn awesome. This is stupid human suits. Well, human it was stupid suits. human suits. Oh,
1: Sean! Yeah. I love I love stories of little Shawnee melting on the floor.
0: Yeah, it was, it was so sad. My jacket could not be uh, we, we like we they did like sc- get a scraper, the pizza scraper <laughs> to spatula. get it off. Oh. Yeah, they had a spatula my husky clothes. <laughs> oh the husky section that was, oof, oh, that was oh. tough
1: well guys thank you for joining us yet again on stupid human suits um our guest this week is kimberly still and you cannot follow her on twitter <laughs> um, she is a writer editor and the co-founder of augury books and independent press based right here in new york city so thank you for being here kimberly thank you so much and thank this you megan a- for being here
0: yeah. yes yeah.
1: megan our producer
0: yeah we've got a whole we've got we've got four people in this room it's that's pretty right. rad
1: and four mimosas yep yes
0: that's very. <laughs> so. that's a very important piece of this <laughs> yeah you might notice a different tone today
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but uh you know speaking of tone um kimberly your story yeah. has uh lots of uh twists and turns we'll put it that way um so i kind of want to jump right into it if you don't mind no um, not at all so you grew up in florida
2: um a, Tell us about your early family life. Sure. So that's true and obviously just to begin with, mm-hmm. thank you all so much for um for inviting me oh. to to record this with you. It's very it's a very good opportunity. So that's correct. I was born in Florida and you know, I was the youngest of three daughters to a uh you know, what I in retrospect remember as a middle class family i'm mm. not sure that my parents would have agreed with me <laughs>
0: but uh, at least i felt like it was uh, and, and w- we was this the florida ba- like was it was florida like bath salts florida yet or was it just really suburban uh, uh,
2: that's a really really good question <laughs> and quite frankly i'm not entirely certain because luckily as you know a 5 year old I, I wasn't quite familiar with the bath <laughs> yeah you world not read the paper that's a good point yet but I think I, you know, we were in North Florida. We were in a uh, little town off of uh, Jacksonville. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, so it was, you know, it was quaint and it had like the small town suburban feel for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, I think when you got a little bit more in the urban areas, you probably ran ran a bit more into into what the <laughs> culture ended up <laughs> becoming and probably was already. But um, jarts. But for me, it was. The ocean mm-hmm. and you know Endless days as a kid without really Any responsibilities whatsoever And so I don't to tell you the truth I don't remember Much to sort of jump Ahead or or segue Into um, you know The yeah. pivotal point In my life which was my mother's death at five wow. I remember Almost nothing prior To that right uh, I remember Fragments of life I remember The beach I sort of remember what my childhood home looked like. Uh, my father was also in real estate in the state, so he, uh, on some level, I think that he probably knew a lot about, you know, how to pick certain mm-hmm. areas that were really nice and still relatively inexpensive. Yeah. So we had like a beachfront condo, and it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, or at least as far as I remember, yeah. uh, but. But I don't. I don't remember much about my actual day-to-day life. I don't remember anything traumatic necessarily. But um, I also just I don't. I don't have a whole lot of facts from yeah. that yeah. from that period.
1: And so, yeah, you're you're five years old, and um, what happened to your mom?
2: So uh, I was five. My sisters at the time were um, ten and twelve. Is that right? Yeah, that would have been <laughs> about right. Uh, uh, age difference of five and seven years, and. Um, and what happened is my mother was uh, big on living by the beach. She loved the ocean uh, and she would love to walk on the ocean. And apparently one night, uh, you know, we don't exactly know what happened, but ultimately she was just out there. She liked to walk on the beach at night and she did not come back. Uh, they God. later, uh, to, you know, to put it somewhat bluntly, um, they later, you know, it wasn't long before her body washed up. And essentially, I think it was really within within hours. It was certainly less than a day. Uh, but at that point, it was, um, you know, it was just it was just a crazy accident that oh nobody was could foresee
0: or could prepare for. What did what did they th- like? What did, was the theory? It was like undertow or something. It was undertow. Mm. It was
2: just, you know, oh. t- she loved the beach. But to tell you the truth, she was not an experienced swimmer. Mm. So, uh, it was more visual appreciation yeah. and the beach itself more than the water. It's romantic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it is. It is romantic and it is beautiful. And I still love, I love the beach. I love the water. Also not a strong swimmer. But um, <laughs> but in any case, yeah, it was, it was just a kind of freak accident. Yeah. Not even freak. I mean, people drown all the time. But it just wasn't, um, it's just one of those things that happens. And how old was she? She was 37. And what do you remember
1: of that moment? Like You are obviously five years old. You're the, the, the little one in the family. Did they try to kind of shield you from the information or like?
2: No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, which is really it's really great that you asked that question because it actually sets a huge backdrop for what is ultimately part of my perspective on life and my mm. family's perspective on life. And it it was we were not the kind of family that shielded children from wow. things that were unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and to tell you the truth, when I did find out about that, uh, which was ultimately immediate, uh, as soon as we knew, I it was still the middle of the night, and I woke up. Uh, and this is actually kind of, <laughs> in a bizarre way, where my memory begins, mm-hmm. is with that yeah. incident. Yeah. Uh, and really... I don't remember a lot of it. I remember flashes, but it was i it was very early morning, and I knew something was wrong now I've heard tales that I actually had like a little freak out episode earlier in the night and had yeah. woken up screaming, which apparently was not very common for me uh and everybody wondered what was wrong, and I was saying that my mother was dead, my mother was oh my dead God. Jesus and uh and I I don't have a whole lot of context around that because I've just always kind of pieced together these stories from what my sisters told me. Um, But what I do remember is when I woke up in the early morning and was actually cognizant and fully awake, and my sister, I shared a room with my sister at the time, my sister Julie, and she was the closest in age to me. And she um, was not in her bed, and I found that to be strange. So (laughs) I got up and I went to my parents' bedroom where my sister was in bed and asleep with my father who was wide awake and uh who told me he just said look you know your mother your mother is dead what? yeah uh and again piecing together stuff I don't know exactly how it happened I later heard from my father enough to corroborate that memory and uh the way he always put it is he's like, you know, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life mm. was tell my children that their mother was dead. And quite frankly, there was no other way to do it yeah. except to just say it. Mm. And he said, um, you know, he said with Jennifer, my, my oldest sister was, was 12, Julie was around 14, I was five. He said, you know, with them, I knew it was not an, like they knew what death was. They knew. Yeah, they, they had were old enough context. to have a context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that he was afraid that I had no context. And uh, but ultimately, what he said happened is he told me, and he apparently could see immediately. He's like, I could see immediately that you understood it. Wow. And that you understood the implications, and that you knew that life would never be the same, and that all of those things just just sort of crystallized for you obviously I don't remember that specific <laughs> yeah. experience but
0: like was, was it how does that manifest itself though you're five years old and you hear this I mean you know he says you you get it like is that is that immediate tears or like an adult you know did you were you just in shock and you, you got it but you can't process it
2: I don't know I suspect uh, I suspect the latter yeah. I maybe a little bit of both I do know this though. I don't ever remember not getting it. Yeah. I never remember struggling with it as a concept. Like, obviously, I struggled with it as a
0: yeah. lifestyle. But you weren't like, when is mommy coming home? You, exactly. Because like, there are those kids.
2: Yeah. And I just, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe I was just at the precipice of, of having sort of crossed that mm-hmm. awareness zone. But regardless, one way or another, uh, yeah, it just it just immediately became a reality, mm-hmm. and that was just life from that point on. Yeah.
1: Do you remember the funeral or like what what people
2: said to you and things I like that? Do I do? That's a really good question. I do remember the funeral. Uh, I remember that a lot of my uh, extended family was there. Uh, my my mother's side of the family obviously.
0: Did you know them well? (sighs) Not
2: really. And I didn't really know any of my extended family well. We didn't live near them. Both my mother and father were originally from Arkansas, different places in Arkansas. Uh, And I suppose we had probably visited, but Mm. they were not a present part of our lives. Uh, I remembered to some extent my mother's aunt um, and she was there. And I remember her drawing with me she's an artist and uh i remember her drawing and teaching me how to draw as i'm sure a distraction yeah um but but i do remember the funeral itself and i i just remember being a little disoriented also just not caring that much Mm. not not to say that i didn't care that much about the fact that my mother was dead but i didn't care about the the aspects of ceremony surrounding it yeah, it's a it. boring
0: right. ceremony when you're a kid it doesn't make it yeah. you're in a stuffy room with walnut lined walls and, it, and i think yeah. they
2: literally were walnut yeah, they, yeah like that's always... my memory of my
0: grandfather's <laughs> funeral too and it's just like i don't know i was eight and i was like uh, uh, he's dead i think i understand that and that's it
2: exactly and like the there's no as much as those those kinds of Rituals and ceremonies are, are supposed to be comforting, and I think they have their place. I'm certainly not yeah. down on them. Uh, they, they just never they never really did a whole lot for me, even yeah. at that age. Yeah. And again, I, I'm a person with relatively severe social anxiety. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> and uh, you know, as a kid, in some ways, it's even worse. And, and uh, crowds always kind of terrified me. Mm. Um, but this was an incident where they did not. Like, right. I didn't care that it's I didn't too know. Too somber a
0: moment. Right.
2: Yeah. I didn't care I didn't know them or any of that. Yeah, it's it, I, the first funeral
1: I remember going to was my grandfather's, and I I was probably... Oh, my papa's. Your peepaw? My, my papa, Your mm. papa. Papa? Papa. Gra- Great. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm from Alabama. He was papa. Green papa. <laughs> you
0: have but, all uh, these silly names. I can't
1: remember how old I was. Um, you know, maybe like 11 or 12, something like that, but... um What struck me about it was, and the reason I didn't like it, is I felt like just the way it was set up, everybody was watching me and expecting me to grieve in a certain way. And like even down to the... Um, you know, they have – people can walk up to the, the coffin. Carol's and, and, the youngest
0: of four, yeah. by the way, too. So, uh, so people can yeah. walk up to the
1: coffin and say goodbye. And then um, there's a moment where they close the curtain so that the family can have one last moment to walk up to the coffin. And then the ceremony starts. And it all felt so forced. And I was just – like, I felt like the funeral directors were staring at me and, like, am, am, do I look sad enough? Like, I got in my head about if I was grieving properly, and it just—it mm. was very upsetting.
0: I don't like so, that that uh, goodbye line because it feels—there's there, pressure— to keep the line moving mm-hmm. when it's your last <laughs> moment with somebody. Yeah. And that's so ridiculous. But you feel it as a, as a, we're social animals. You feel that like, there's 20 people behind yep, me. Yeah. I'm just trying to say goodbye to my grandma or my grandpa. Uh, uh, go get, uh, goodbye. And then yeah. you're like, I'll go get a coffee.
2: Um, yeah, I agree. Like the focus does become weirdly something that the focus maybe shouldn't be, mm. which is I think a lot of the times the family is put in sort of a position of pressure like that. Not intentionally, but y- you're trying to put others at ease. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't at five, but I do, you know, I, I not even so much there, but at other times, I do remember there being this kind of spotlight, like, how is Kimberly doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just uh, not wanting any part of that. Mm-hmm.
0: I totally understand. I mean, you, you, you know what I think the, the what it comes down to is, and this is why the show is called Stupid Human Suits, we're trapped in these bodies, or we're just in these bodies, and when you see a corpse, a dead a dead body it, like it's just the body whatever it is whatever little spark it is that makes us us is gone and it's almost there's I've always thought there's a a kind of like uh, cognitive dissonance isn't the right word but there's something that just it doesn't feel right like oh this isn't the way it's supposed to be now that's, that could be a rock or a shirt or a, a target mm-hmm. you know it's just an object now and that's the, that's the freakiest part
2: do you know what I actually frequently compare it to is um oh what's that term of the the uncanny valley? Are you familiar mm. with the uncanny valley? That sounds really familiar. Okay, it? I'm not going to be able to probably describe it well, <laughs> but it's it's something that's talked about a lot in uh, robotics mm-hmm. because essentially there's this uh, experience that the human brain interprets when they see something that ought to be life and lifelike, but it's not. Oh. And they fall into it falls into what they describe as the uncanny valley, and they they reference it when they're talking about you know human looking robots mm-hmm. that where there's something amiss,
0: yeah, Megan actually just uh, she's got the definition or the looked it up, yeah, according to Wikipedia, um the uncanny valley is the hypothesis that human replicas which appear almost but not exactly like real human beings, elicit feelings of eeriness and revulsion among some observers that that makes total sense <laughs> yeah, thank you, that, you alexa <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was so beautiful Our producer you should Alexa's talk <laughs> here. uh yeah that oh. makes that makes complete sense though because you know it's it's just you're almost there you're but, almost there cyborg but there's like no yeah. not. <laughs> yeah the eye is just a little too low cyborg how did you not know the human form Um,
1: I want to move on in one second, but I just had one more question. So um, were were you guys religious at all, or was there any aspect to that in your childhood?
2: My extended family was religious Mm -hmm. uh, on both sides, uh, different religions, but only vaguely. I think my mother's family was, I believe, Episcopalian and my father's Southern Baptist.
0: Oh, I thought you were about to go like, yeah, we were reformed Scientologists on one side. I was like, oh, God, we got to talk about that now. <laughs> yeah, I would have totally buried the you lead. You buried the lead? My God, you are a cavorkian on...
2: What? Oh, uh, well, I do have some weird stuff. that way, ex- <laughs> way extended family, but we won't get into that. Correct. Oh, so, um, so, in any case...
0: You moved
2: after that, right? That's correct, yeah. So, essentially, well, I... A year after that, we stayed. We stayed for the the year because it it happened in uh, very late August, at which point everybody was already starting school. Right. And my father was really obsessed with not pulling us out of school. I don't think he wanted any part of that place anymore. Yeah. Uh, But... And I think he was struggling. I think he just didn't know really how to go about this, Mm -hmm. raising three Three daughters on his own. But... So we stuck it out for the year. I do remember bits of that pe- that year in in kindergarten because it was my first year in school. I'd never gone to preschool, uh, but after that year was over, we we moved to Arkansas yep. to the town where my father was from. Okay, where he had sisters and brothers and cousins, a support and structure, huge support. structure. Takes a village, yeah. Uh, and that was actually, uh, it's I I don't know. Like in many ways, I think that. Afterward, he might have regretted that move a little bit, but I certainly didn't because it made me feel like I had like a real childhood.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, which you know, hugely important. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> given what happened to you, um, what about? So, how long? I hate asking, but like, how long were you there before the next fucking sharp yeah. turn in your life happened?
2: No, please, that's that's totally fine. That's what we're here for. Um, so I. We were there for, we were in Arkansas living, um, you know, relatively blissfully considering this Mm -hmm. thing that that had happened. We were really moving on. Everything everything was moving right along. Uh, We were good students. I was really happy with my cousins. I forged such close relationships with them and my aunt. It was just a second home. Like there was never a question. You could just go there anytime. She made wonderful food. Oh, food. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're there. <laughs> yeah. right. But in any case, uh, so basically we were there for, I want to say, five to six years. Mm-hmm. And we moved again. My, my oldest sister went off to college uh, at the end of our, our little stay. And there was no, it, my father had been itching to get out, I think, for a while. Because even though he needed the support system, on some level he felt like he was going back in time by moving back mm-hmm. to his roots, oh, a place that yeah. he had wanted to leave anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's rough. Um, sure. So it was very important to him to to leave when when he had the ability to do it and I think after Jennifer graduated he just thought, well, this is time. Mm-hmm. So we uh, moved back to Florida, a different place um, and were there for one year, I want to say, maybe a year and change uh, when in uh, 1993, my sister, so my oldest sister Jennifer, had gone off to college. So at home, it was my father and my other sister Julie and I. So she was like 16. She was 16, exactly, and um, she was she had actually just graduated from high school, uh, because she had graduated a year early, and wow. again, you know, high performing, wanted to get into college, yeah. wanted to start her life. Yeah. And that summer, the summer before she started college, uh, she was in a fatal car accident. Oh, God. And uh, that was, I was 12. Uh, like I said, my sister was away, but she was home for the summer. Yeah. So she was home when it happened. It also happened in the summer. It happened actually like... 10 days before the anniversary of my
0: mother's death. Oh, my God. So how, and did, how did you find out? What, how was the news brought to you?
2: That was... I mean, that's a whole different... And in some ways, I'm mm. still kind of emotionally divorced from the whole telling of my mother's story. But this this, I'm not. Like, everything I just said about about how I reacted and the family unit was able to react and pick up the pieces after mm-hmm. my mother died consider and picture the diametric opposite of that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of what happened when Julie died um and so so what it was just it was one night and she was I can't remember if she was le- I don't think she was late I think it was supposed to be like an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was supposed to be coming home that night. Was she driving
1: alone? Or... She
2: was driving alone. Okay. Um, she was driving alone, and uh, she had a new car uh, that my father had bought her for going off to college, yeah. and I, I think she'd had it maybe a couple of weeks. Jesus. And, which, quite frankly, oh. might have been part of the problem. I mean, you can imagine after something like that happens, you you piece together, mm-hmm. like, the what-ifs, and, and...
0: um. Do you, do you know what happened? Like, did she go off the road? Was she... Sp- like sides?
2: She, uh, details I'm not a hundred percent sure about. And to tell you the truth, even when they're recreating that stuff, yeah, a lot of it's guesswork. Yeah. Um, but ultimately what we think happened is, um, th- I mean, there was a collision, there was a collision. So, but we don't know, like, who went in front of whom or, sure. like, what yeah. the fault was. And, in fact, there was even, like, a legal investigation around it. And I don't even – there were never any charges, I think, even drawn against the other the other guy, the guy who collided with her.
0: And did he live?
2: He lived. Oh he lived. He was in – but – and the truth is he was in a – he was in a car. He was in a van. He was in a van. She was in a Mazda. Oh, Mazda. Yep. I probably shouldn't be using brand names. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But she was in a small sports car Mm -hmm. or sporty car. Um, But you know, and this is just not—it's just not made the same way. Yeah. So even if no one was at fault, and quite frankly, I'm not sure who was. But even if you couldn't piece that together or determine it, she never had a chance, you know, not at the kind of speeds that they were going.
0: So at some point you had to go identify her body.
2: Was it? Did did you guys get a phone call? Knock on the door? Knock on the door.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. And it was
2: in the middle of the night. And this, oh, I really hope I don't lose it when I say this part because this is the part that like still just boggles my mind. And you're 12 now. Yeah. So I was my sister was sleeping on the couch because, like I said, she was just uh, there from college. So we didn't have like a room for her because we we'd moved to another apartment. We got a knock on the door and I was awake. And oh, another weird factor is I was awake that whole night. Couldn't couldn't go to sleep, which is weird. I've never had trouble sleeping, Mm -hmm. but I was awake and I was reading this book on Greek mythology that I'd just gotten from the library. It was like four in the morning and um, I heard my father answer the door and my sister, who was awake, awake in the other room from the couch, you know, I heard voices from, coming from the door that I couldn't make out. And then I heard my sister Jennifer say, is she alive?
1: Oh, God.
2: <laughs> and then I heard my father say no. Ugh. And I didn't know. I still didn't, I still didn't connect it to mm-hmm. Julie. Because how? How
0: could that? How?
2: Yeah. How exact. could that happen? It wasn't even. It didn't even enter my brain. Yeah. And so I thought. I literally thought that like somebody had stumbled up to the door, like either bath salts, yeah, probably passed
0: out, and
2: um, and just
0: poke him with a stick. Is this is this drunk alive or are they dead?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I thought had happened. And then I, I think I came out of my room, and uh, my father just said. Julie's been
0: in a car accident
2: and of course no, then yeah. I made the connection uh and that
0: was are they crying like what's again not shock? at that point no just too new yeah, yeah. Too it's new. too big mm-hmm. okay and then did you have to go to identify the body right that night right then
2: it was it was the next morning or it was the, you know we didn't sleep but it was ultimately a few hours later yeah. um it was that morning and what what basically happened is um we all went as a family we didn't have to go as a family mm-hmm uh you know it it also wasn't really that questionable who she was but um but we did we went as a family and we waited in the hospital waiting room uh probably specifically the morgue waiting room and there was it was a very uncomfortable time not just emotionally but there was some kind of disagreement with them mm-hmm. uh my father was pushing for us to all be able to see the body and I had no real position on this. <laughs> uh I, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. But uh I think he was running into a bit of resistance mm-hmm. for that cuz he comes in with essentially a preteen yeah. and sure. you know his other daughter and they're just like I don't know. But ultimately it happened. We went in
0: individually. Oh, wow, not all together her. just one. And to- then afterward all together. Okay. And what but- happened when you when you saw the body? Like what
2: It was very strange. I mean, it's something that I'm a writer, so I have tried to, I have tried dozens of times to try to represent that Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. in in a poem or a story, and I've never quite really done it. Uh, It it was strange. It was very surreal. It was very uncanny valley. Mm -hmm. It was also kind of weirdly comfortable because she was just my sister, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, okay, there you are. Clearly you. Um, She didn't look particularly mangled. She had a whole lot of um, internal injuries. The way they put it in the report is she had um, X amount of internal uh, injuries, any one of which would have been sufficient to kill her. Uh, Um, The one thing visually I remember is that she had what was very clearly a missing part of her head. Now, she was lying on it, so you couldn't really see it. But the way the head is rounded, it was you just a it. little yeah. lower than it ought to have been.
0: Uh, and when you're when you're seeing this, I mean, like you you had said, like you had an epiphany, like you had, or whatever the word would be, like mm-hmm. a realization that seems, when you, we read about it, uh, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like you see that this is your sister, this is the second huge loss in your life. What do you walk away with?
2: Uh, well, so the and i mean just to to add on to that a little bit uh in some ways the first huge loss i think had been kind of emotionally muted for me mm-hmm. yep. for whatever reason and this one like i said was the opposite of muted it was it was loud in my head and um what i remember which was actually partly in the waiting room before that uh but it was just evolving that whole day was this uh experience of incredible freedom almost euphoria i know that sounds really weird and um you know i'm not trying to say it in any kind of mystical way Mm -hmm. but um i just knew i had this like acute awareness that that this was it this was as bad as it got yeah you know that um that something that i hadn't even fathomed could be possible was happening and it was real and it was not gonna go away and To some extent, that realization just freed me from all earthly cares.
0: Because nothing else can be that bad again. (laughs)
2: Nothing else can be that bad again. It was the the most enormous horror I'd ever experienced and also the most freeing moment of my life. Wow. Because I really felt like nothing could touch me. No matter what happened, if the world caved in, I wouldn't give a
0: damn. So how do you get from... And here here we're sort of getting to the the meat of this, uh, so to speak. Uh, that's meaty. (laughs) uh, uh, I didn't mean to do that. A lot of meat coming up. A lot of meat. lean cuts. Sweet, lean cuts. So how do you go from like these two tragedies uh, to and one one of which, you know, like you said, is ultimately feels freeing because nothing else can be that bad. How do you go from there? And uh, how does how did do the eating disorders develop?
2: Mm hmm. Um, the eating disorders had always been uh, what's the word I'm looking for right below the surface, uh-huh. you know, Um we, I had never really, even many members of my family, with actually possibly the exception of Julie, who was the healthiest about food than all, as all of us, um, we had always, we'd never had a particularly healthy view of food and eating. We were not a mealtime family. Mm. We always were concerned about how, wet, oh God, did I put on two pounds? Like <laughs> it yeah. was a okay. kind of present thing. Uh by the time I was twelve I had probably been on I I mean I'd been on hundreds of diets. Yeah. I just used air quotes. But um <laughs> Thank you. You know, and I, they're the kind of diets that a kid goes on and I'd always like go to my friend's house and be like, Oh, I can't, I'm on a diet. Oh my and God. my friend's parents would be horrified.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just be
2: like, How can you be on a you diet? Can you have eight. a chicken
0: Caesar salad? <laughs> yeah, the Caesar.
2: Um <laughs> right. But I just took something that was already there. Yeah. And I just sort of started to obsess over it. And it took a little bit of time before I realized how much it made me feel better about my life and control and all those I was going to ask because y-
1: were you controlling this thing that's supposed to be like kind of a natural. Oh, you just eat and you're like hyper controlling it?
2: Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's that's a part of it. It, it. There were so many layers. I think for me, it served several purposes, and this was not something I understood until way later, but it served the purpose of being an immediate thing that I could control. I could mm-hmm. exercise as much as I wanted. I could eat as little as I wanted, and I could, in a strange way, sort of become obsessed with that. Uh, it was something to think about. Like a goal mm-hmm. to aim for? Right. It was a goal to aim for. It was something just in the day-to-day. I could count calories. I could compute them, and I did it all day in my head. So it appealed
1: to that analytical part of you
2: that just wanted to be occupied with something. Exactly. And
0: so this was, uh, just to be clear, this was anorexia?
2: At this point it was. At this point, and then it
0: developed later?
2: It developed into, yeah, it developed into, it wasn't until college that it developed into bulimia. I was anorexic all the way to the point of, from about the ages of 14 is when the diet, the diet, started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I was going to a, when I was 14, I was going to a school dance uh, with a boy that I didn't even like, but <laughs> <laughs> as <Right>. all school <laughs> dances are. <laughs> but I was I was trying, I was buying dresses and I was horrified. Uh, I couldn't find one that I was happy with. And I just remember thinking, this is ridiculous. This has been going on for too long. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to go on a diet that sticks. And so I was absolutely determined, started exercising what started about an hour a day and reduced my calorie intake to what was 600 calories a day, Jesus. which eventually went down to about 300 Jesus. calories. A day. And I became so obsessed that even if I went over that by 20 calories, I would, it would throw me into a tailspin. Yeah. Like how did you physically feel yeah. during Are that? You Were you tired? So at the time, I mean, I was I was a teenager. I had boundless energy. I could mm-hmm. not do that now. Not that I would have any desire to, yeah. but you know, when you're a teenager, you just you just have energy. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there is something what once. Once anorexia really starts to take hold, and there are all kinds of scientific explanations for this that I swear to God I used to be able to quote, but I probably can't anymore. But there there are explanations for after your body goes into starvation mode, uh, you do experience a kind of euphoria. Yeah. Oh. Um, and you experience a kind of like you're not really fueling your body, but you've been tricked. Your body's been tricked into thinking that you have to be on uh, no matter what, uh, because you're starving.
0: Yeah, food source must be found.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Warrior exactly. needs food badly. Yes, and and so I somehow remained in that state for a couple of years. Yikes! I don't know. You know, obviously, I'm sure there were times that I was tired, but I don't remember that. I, mean, I remember you, being happy and euphoric. And, are
0: there long term like is there calcium depletion like that sort of thing? Are there like what happens? What like what does your doctor say now?
2: Uh, luckily it. I don't think it was really long enough To have had any Severe lasting uh, Effects I'm not 100% sure about that It's not like I, I don't really go to the doctor that often <laughs> But at the time I remember right before I was I was about to graduate uh, So this has been going on for a couple of years And right before I was about to graduate I was having problems With the urination i was peeing too frequently and uh nobody could quite figure this out so i went to a doctor and begrudgingly because i <laughs> you know i knew shit was wrong
0: yeah you knew what you were doing uh,
2: yeah. yeah uh
0: it's got to be related to this
2: uh, yeah so i was i was not happy about the whole experience and uh he basically was like look you know if you continue this way you're going to you're going to go into kidney failure. Like mm. this is not this is not a joke. And uh I was because I was uh hypoglycemic. I hypoglycemic. Yeah. yeah. Hypo. And and he was like, you know, you could you could essentially pass out at any time. And never wow. wake up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he got quite that graphic with it, but mm-hmm. he was he, you know, he wasn't mincing any words with me, and I was like, "Okay, so what do I do like now?" He's like, "Go eat some candy." <laughs> I, just remember Jesus. Him saying I that. Don't want that. He's though. like, "Leave this office and go get a freaking Snickers bar. That's what you do right now." Wow. And um, and it was weird for me, and it was on some level I was kind of glad because I knew it couldn't go on. Yeah. But I also was. Scared because I didn't know I had I didn't have other coping strategies, yeah. Like, this was the one I'd found, and it was working uh, in my perception, yeah. it was working, it was working for me emotionally at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I did obviously, I didn't want to let it go. So, I, at the time that I went to the doctor, I think I was around 86 pounds. Jesus um, Christ, and, and how old was that? Uh, this was 16, 16, okay. yeah. So, uh, I was around 86 pounds, I'm 5'7, <sighs> and um. One At that point, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to start gaining some weight. I have to start gaining some weight. So I put together like this whole strategy where that could be emotionally palatable to me. <laughs> and I got up to like 92 and I remember thinking that that was a real real success, uh, but also hating myself mm. in the process and like I I felt I felt fat. And it sounds like the weirdest thing in the world to say, now, I wish that me could see me now.
0: <laughs> She'd just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> You're a human being. We're supposed to be a skeleton.
2: <laughs> but, you know, that was that was the beginning of it. I thought I could put together a strategy to do it healthily. I went off to college, and I well, lost even more control. You just like, went off the rails. I went off the rails. And did you
0: wind up having an intervention? Like, how did How did it begin to end?
2: I tried to orchestrate them.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, guys, do you think Kimberly needs to
2: <laughs> I said that? She's
0: got a problem. We should talk to her. Um,
2: I mean, that's a little bit of a joke, <laughs> but not even so far from the truth. Uh, because it, once I was in college and I had this like sort of wider awareness of what was happening psychologically to me, I. Um, I was like, "Why the fuck aren't these fuckers speaking up?" <laughs>
1: you, guys, do I look healthy? Do you do you think people around you knew or they were all wrapped up in their
2: own stuff and Um they knew in high school. Mm-hmm. They knew in high school, but I think they were kind nobody wants to to talk about stuff yeah. like that.
0: And Cuz that's not a quick conversation that's I now have to acknowledge you have a problem that will require me to take partial responsibility for a big portion of your life. Yeah,
2: exactly. And when your friends are also 15 and 16, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I did actually have a few friends who who were concerned, who would talk to me about it. and I. But, I, I mean, to tell you the truth, the other part of the story is 90% of what I got was incredibly positive reinforcement. Uh, so most of the feedback I was getting is just like, how did you do that? How did oh you lose God. all that weight? Yeah. I'll tell uh,
0: you my secret.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that was frustrating. And once I got to college, I, um, you know, I did start to make some real friends. And uh, at that point, I was just open. I, I hadn't, I'd stopped yeah. trying to keep anything a secret. And I was like, this is what's wrong with me. <laughs> now, now my.
0: And in- oddly, that probably, like, that probably is a better way for people suffering with these, yeah. these eating disorders. Because at least it's, you know, it you can ping somebody With that information. Well,
1: it's a cliche because it's true. Acknowledging that you have a problem kind of opens you up to be able to receive help.
2: Yeah, Uh, and it takes some mystery out of it. Yeah. You know, something that really is controlling you to that extent becomes like, well, if I can. I think the psychological process that happened with me at least was if I can acknowledge it, uh, I at least can go about trying to figure out how to control it without mm-hmm. it controlling me. That was a very long process. Yeah. But how
0: long? What are you talking about like 10 years? 5 years? Uh soup to nuts like, you know, soup to nuts. Feeling like you got rid of this as much as you can get rid of it.
2: Probably it it wasn't until I was out of college. Okay. So, I'm going to say from the very beginning of when like the the diet started to uh, when I really felt well um, eight years uh-huh.
0: And this is like and you know this is a positive story yeah. by the way. Yeah, eight you, years of your life spent dealing with this fucking thing. Right.
1: And you were saying you um, you established a support group when you were in college and was that kind of part of the recovery process for
2: you? That was a huge part. I was uh, so when I hit college, I first of all I gained about this is almost unreal, but I gained about 80 pounds in a semester. I could not wow. handle.
0: But that's good eating. for you, right? Like that was at that point, what, it you was, didn't see it that way. But was your
2: it, yes and no? Like it, it was good to to be gaining weight, but it was too fast. Yeah, uh-huh. way too fast. And you have to keep in mind, in order to gain eighty pounds in six months, yeah, you got to eat like a motherfucker. <laughs> like I was eating everything in sight i would go off campus for days and just eat like <laughs> what, eating, eating safari yeah oh my god and what? and i would eat and i would purge and i would eat and i would purge and and i would just spend days like that wow yeah i was not doing well in school
0: holy shit <laughs> yeah. yeah like we were you, were you, did we you, did you even have the the focus to to work on anything no no, I took a couple of
2: semesters off mm. when I was in college, and I took them for medical reasons, so yeah. it was always fine, because right. uh, I had a therapist who could corroborate all of this, uh, and they would have to sign off on my medical leaves of absence, mm. but um, but ultimately, so I went. I just went from two extremes. I went from one extreme to another extreme in a very short period of time, and then eventually I started to taper off. Mm because i just i had this huge just hole to fill quite literally <laughs> so to speak um, and i'd been depriving myself of all these foods for so long that mm-hmm. that just having access to them yeah. and the ability to get them and dining halls that didn't close and you're an
0: adult now so you make all your own choices so exactly. it's hard to say no to you're like i can have m&ms for dinner if i want motherfuckers yes
2: was there
1: i mean this may be too stupid of a question, but was there sort of also a long game thinking like, okay, I this diet has been terrible for me, but if I eat a whole bunch and put on a lot of weight, then I can go on a diet and it's okay. Oh.
2: That's a really interesting question. That is such an interesting question. To tell you the truth... No. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) guys, this has been Stupid Human Suits. Really interesting questions, very short (laughs) answers. I
2: was not cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. Like, that was not a conscious thought. But I do remember thinking, when I started to put on weight, it's not that big of a deal because I'm like an expert in dieting. (laughs) So, anytime I decide I want to take this shit Ah, off, I can't. Gotcha. So, yes, that was there in the back of my head. But I was not. I didn't think like, oh, if I get to 180, then I can just start it all over right, again.
1: Right. Right. You know. Um, so when did you establish the support group, and and how did that work?
2: So that was not until quite a bit later. I um, end of
0: end of college.
2: It, it was yeah. It was right like uh, probably junior senior year. And
0: you left it going after you. Like, is it still around? Do you know, or did it sort of fall apart? I
2: think it sort of fell apart. So I haven't. I didn't keep very close tabs. I did for a couple of years, but after that, I haven't kept tabs. So, a friend of mine who, uh, I, and again, I forged some really close friendships in college that, believe it or not, were actually somewhat healthy considering I was falling <laughs> apart and so were a lot of people, uh, but I, I had this close friend who had had a lot of issues herself, and uh, basically at the college, the whole time we'd been there, there had been this sort of like phantom entity that was a support group for people with eating disorders but we never saw any mm. presence about it like we knew it existed it but was there were no
0: flyers or anything no it
2: was it was talked about as a oh. resource occasionally but so finally we started to look into it and it's like okay this doesn't really exist mm-hmm. uh, you'd you could still call the numbers and you just get connected to a nutritionist um but it wasn't there was no she was a nutri- she was the college right. campus nutritionist there was no student support so we said we'll just take the name And we'll just revive it. We don't have to build the name, Mm -hmm. you know. It's already got whatever brand recognition (laughs) uh, it needs on a college campus. So we just revived it, and we got a lot of students involved, and we started to speak, and we put together. We started. We started to speak about our own experiences because that was what we had. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have any resources. Well,
0: what uh, off of that? What like you know, all these years later you've started had the support group you've talked to dozens of other people who are suffering with similar conditions what advice would you have for people right now who are struggling with eating disorders
2: so I throughout you know throughout that whole uh, organization I obviously got that question a lot and I um, would always answer it in different ways uh, partly depending on where I was at the time mm-hmm. uh, I don't think there's like a really quick solution yeah um, I don't think there's necessarily even a kind of quick solution well
0: i mean is it like tell somebody is it talk to your parents is it go see a therapist is it like
2: actionable stuff yeah Mm -hmm. uh so actionable stuff yeah go talk to a therapist chances are if you're in this situation your parents are probably not going to be the people to go to (laughs) not necessarily because they're just going to be too concerned about you Uh, i hate to say this but on some level they're probably going to be part of the problem yeah um and Talk to somebody who, who doesn't have an immediate interest in you. I know that oh, sounds weird. No, no, that's really interesting. But, you know, talk to somebody for who to whom you can actually be completely honest because so much of it has to do with being honest with yourself. Uh-huh. And I think actually a huge takeaway that unfortunately isn't really actionable but that really, really stuck with me is my sister Jennifer, when I was going through this in college, I, she was relatively nearby in location-wise, and I would visit her to some extent, though I was embarrassed to visit her because of the way that sure. I looked. And um, and she said something to me once. This is going to make her sound kind of cold, but she meant it in a in a really good way that actually really helped. Which is, she's like, you know, this is selfish. She's like, it's selfish oh. because you're obsessed with yourself. All you're thinking about is yourself. Actual
0: selfish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like
2: she wasn't trying to be like. Castigate me for it. And to tell you the truth, she was actually helping a lot at mm. that time. I was resistant to it, but she was helping a ton. And she would just say, get love yourself, which is hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. good luck. Um but she said get involved in things. She's like, get involved in anything. Yeah. Because quite frankly, if it's anything that you that's not you thinking about what you eat, that's good. It's
1: good. Yeah, the the that's isolating yourself great. ties into so many problems, like whether it's you're an abusive relationship, or you have an alcohol problem, or you have an eating disorder, If you, so much of that is fueled by completely being in your own head and yep. not allowing yourself to interact with other people and just get a fucking different perspective. Yeah. On you.
2: It's the perspective thing, and I realize, obviously, I'm not trying to tell people struggling with an eating disorder that they're being selfish. Mm-hmm. That's I think that that actually is language that's used for people that... Yeah, somebody really that, close
0: can tell you that. Right. Yeah. That you
2: really ought not to... That ought not to be everyone's takeaway. They're not going to yeah. necessarily...
0: Respond, respond. positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the
2: sense that I knew what yeah. my sister meant when she said it to me. But the truth is, it's just like, expand your horizons. Yeah. Like, this is not the end all be all is not what you had for dinner tonight, well there fucker, that's that's you know? the
0: takeaways like get, get get out of your own fucking way your own head mm-hmm. talk to people who aren't you and don't have a vested interest in you and then you know if you do talk to somebody who's really close to you they're probably gonna tell you something that might hurt but that might be the most helpful thing yeah. right
1: um, Kimberly thank you so. I, I, I feel amazing. like we could do two or three more episodes <laughs> no, at least um, uh, yeah, there's yeah. so much we didn't get to but thank you so much for being here absolutely um, my pleasure thank you
0: for sharing your story because there's so many people out there with these issues, and it's you know it's such an under it's I, well, underground is the wrong <laughs> phrase, but it's such an underground disorder.
2: If people are, pe- it's still hard for people to talk yeah. about. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. all it's
0: not it's also not treated like a serious problem.
2: Yeah, it's it's
1: judged feels it it feels like it's judged more harshly than some other issues mm. that people have.
0: Yeah, p- people treat it like it's, it's this is petty. Like, ah, come on, it, yeah.
2: because it because they think of it as as just purely a mental disturbance, and quite frankly. A, who cares, mm-hmm. yeah. and B, yeah. uh, there are real physical aspects to it that are self-feeding, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, your your chemistry changes, and you react to the world differently, mm-hmm. and that's valid. Yeah. That's totally um, valid.
0: That's like dep- depression. I mean, that's a chemical issue. Yeah. Your brain chemicals are just off. I mean, this is... Uh, so yeah. frustrating <laughs> so many of these conversations we have with people it's like these are uh, just just it's not taken seriously yeah and to
1: sum up uh, uh, that's our
0: motto um
1: well we're gonna close today yep. as we always do with our secular prayer thank you so much uh, kimberly Steele, for being here
2: It's my pleasure thank you
1: our fellow humans who are here and now
0: hallowed be thy consciousness
2: thy kingdom floats in a universe so vast it's like totally bananas man
0: Therefore, be kind to each other.
2: And don't eat so much bread. Oh, God. Ask forgiveness of your trespasses.
0: And forgive those who trespass against you. I <laughs> forgot about that I line. forgot about that.
2: Because all of us can be really fucking annoying. For,
0: For th- thou art the... Oh, sorry. That's my
1: line. For th- We're fucking up the prayer.
0: Ah, uh, mimosas.
1: For thou art the mind inside thine stupid human suit.
0: The only one of its kind.
1: We are thus also. And that must simply be enough. Amen. Amen. Eat all the bread you want, everybody. Go have M&M's for dinner, everybody.
0: Thank you, Kimberly. Thanks so much, Kimberly.
1: Thank you, you. Megan, our producer and the voice of Alexa. (laughs) We'll see you next time.
0: Bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.